there. This is our first attempt at a podcast. This is something we're um, calling Never Rewrite. Um, this podcast will be explained in a moment by my co-host, Jeffrey Sherman. Jeffrey, are you there? Hello, this is Jeffrey Sherman. Good to be here. Uh, yeah, I'm excited uh, to talk about, well, never rewriting. Um, it's sort of a philosophy of ours. It's not that you never rewrite your code. It's that you never start over uh, and try to rewrite your whole thing from scratch. Got it. So tell us, before we get into the podcast, tell us, uh, who are you? What do you do? Uh, so I'm a software developer for, gosh, over 20 years. I've been actively soft, developing software for, well, I've been professionally, I've been getting paid to develop software for over 25 <laughs> years. Um, but as a full-time professional for like over 20 years. Um, and these days uh, I help companies, I help SaaS companies scale their platform when you know, they finally got that product market fit and they're scaling and some of those early decisions they made that didn't matter because uh, you needed to get something out the door. Right. Now they're coming to bite you because, hey, you, you can't handle hundreds of thousands of customers. It's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a great problem. Um, I'll introduce myself here. I'm Isaac Askew. Um, I am not as experienced as Jeffrey. Uh, I am catching up to him. He keeps getting further away every time I try to catch up, though. Uh, I have about 10 years um, in the software development industry. I'm also paid to write software professionally. Um, and yeah, so I, I feel like it's almost like a meme uh, at this point whenever a developer comes in and they say something like, oh, this is, you know, this is awful code. I think uh, we should either just trash it or we, even better, we should rebuild it uh, in my favorite language that I just discovered a couple of years ago that I'm obsessed with. You can almost see like the um, zero days since last JavaScript framework kind of uh, new, new JavaScript framework <laughs> kind of joke uh, because the new one comes out, someone gets obsessed over it. They want to build in that thing that they know and your awful old code base is the perfect uh, excuse for rewriting. Yeah, the, the warning sign there is if anybody ever comes to you and says, look, this this code is so bad, we just need to start over. It would be easier to start over. Our code is so bad. Um, and never answering right. the question of, well, if you who wrote the code and if, if you made it so bad the, this time, what, what's going to be different for next time? Yeah, there's like a um, it's it's like a kind of a recurring uh, loop. I think the, the pattern that we see is like there's a startup. They need something delivered quickly you deliver it as quickly as you can and you do it poorly because uh, you don't add tests, you don't think about the future, you're just trying to deliver for that one customer or somebody who gives you money, right? It, it could even be more innocent than that. Like you could write all the tests, well, probably not all the tests, but you know, you, it's a startup, they think they're going to do one thing and halfway through they realize that you know, they need to pivot slightly and pivot slightly uh, and soon, you know, the original design isn't, it's just not right anymore. Right. Um, whether you built it right, whether it was well-built or not uh, to begin with, it's, you know, the company started off, I don't know, selling books online and now it's a selling everything online store, you know, the Amazon story, right? That it's right. not exactly the same thing it was. By the way, the, the loop that I think occurs is once you, once you end up building that product and you've built it hurriedly, then the other developers come in, they're fresh to it. 
and they go, oh, well, I see what you did wrong here. I wouldn't have done it that way. But they would have if they were rushed as well. But they think from fresh eyes, oh, this is awful. Who built this? Why did they <laughs> build it in such a sloppy manner? You know, I could have done this way better because hindsight's twenty twenty. In six so, months. Um, in six months. Yeah, yeah. I could put it super quickly. This will be super easy. There's only a couple of features here. This is a basic platform. Uh, yeah, and that's the concept. And so you could actually almost see it playing out if someone said yes to them and they rebuilt it. And then a couple of months or years down the line, someone else comes in. Who built this? <laughs> this is awful. I can rebuild this really easy in six months. There's this is tangled dependencies. Uh, and, and the loop, just the cycle continues from each set of fresh eyes every few years because each person will just end up building their own brand new monolith and their new flavor of JavaScript or whatever code they cared about. Well, that's if you're lucky uh, that happens. If you're mm -hmm. less lucky, uh, the more common thing is, oh, I'm going to start over six months down the road. They're like, oh, I'm, I'm getting pretty close. But meanwhile, the original system is continuing to be maintained. Uh, it's got new features. Um, and so the new system is always a few months away from getting into production. Uh, and sort of the worst case there is a year or even two down the road, you cancel the new system because the old system right. is now, it's still the, the thing that you're using and you just throw away all that work of building the new system because it never got into production. That's sort of like your worst case. And a ton of wasted money and all the time Tons spent trying money. to convince leadership that this is the right way to go, <laughs> rebuilding everything. So what do you do instead if you never rewrite? Uh, you iteratively rewrite. Um, you one piece at a time. You you change it uh, from mm -hmm. what it is to what it needs to be, uh, and that's you know it, it's a push and pull and a tug here and a push there, um, and you, you eventually you slowly evolve it from what it was and to what it needs to be. Um, but you at no point do you ever. The big conceptual shift is at no point do you ever write soft, do you ever write code or changes that don't go into production. Um, it may not be as theoretically fast or as theoretically efficient as, you know, I'm just going to start over, I'm going to build a new thing, not have to worry about modifying this existing edifice, mm -hmm. uh, but it will, it will end up being much faster in, in reality because you don't have to wait until the whole thing is done uh, before you get any value out of it. Is there uh, any examples that you're thinking of? Can you, can you help the listener understand like that process uh, besides conceptually, just kind of like a literal, literal project that you worked on to, to solve this? Uh, well, I've come up, come across an amazing example, real world example that I think everyone can get their heads around uh, that I want to go with. Uh, okay. So in, in the software world, the idea of, Hey, I'm going to, what we have is terrible. And we're going to do a called a greenfield rewrite. And then we're going to do what is called a big bang cutover where one day we're using this system. And then the next day we're going to use that the new system and we'll then turn off the old system. Um, it almost never works, but I found a real world example of somebody doing it in the real world uh, that I think is very illuminating. <laughs> sure. Um, so the Yankees baseball team uh, has been playing in the Bronx for <laughs> many, many decades uh, and they last, they had a baseball stadium and they didn't like it. Uh, it didn't, wasn't big enough. It didn't have enough seats. The seats were terrible. Um, and so in the eighties, they started saying, Hey, we need to build a new stadium. And for 30 years, 
they basically said, hey, we need to build a new stadium, we need to build a new stadium. So they didn't particularly do any iterative maintenance. Like they maintained the stadium, but they didn't evolve it. Uh, right. And eventually, after 30 years, they got permission. They built a new stadium across the street from their current, the previous, the old stadium. Uh, they took a park. They took over a park. They built a new stadium on it. They moved the team over. Okay. They knocked the old stadium down. They built a new park. Right. So it's like it's as pure of a look. We're going to take a green field, build a new stadium on it, literally, um, and then right. one season we play here, the next season we play there. And then we destroy the old system and we put a new green field there. Um, like, so it's as pure of a real world physical example as you can get. And after planning this thing for, for 25 years, they built a stadium. And well, first of all, that was incredible that they actually managed to do it. But it, the stadium was not good. Um, the wall, the outfield wall was built wrong, uh, which caused it to become a home run derby. Um, they angled the stadium incorrectly relative to the wind in the area, which caused it to become a home run derby. Um, they spent a lot of money building this whole hospitality idea, which is a big moneymaker, which is great, I guess. Totally fine. Um, but the hospitality suites right behind home field were so expensive, home plate were so expensive that even during playoff games, those seats, a lot of them were empty. Uh, so on TV, the stadium looked empty because there was nobody <laughs> sitting there. Ridiculously Jeez. expensive okay. seats. And in order to build these ridiculously expensive seats, it ended up building a moat to keep the plebeians, I guess, away from <laughs> the expensive seats, uh, which made it impossible for fans, like fans you know, who aren't rich, to come down towards batting practice and try and get autographs from the from the players. So like they beyond building a terrible stadium, they also broke this interaction between the fans and the players, which is you know, fans are what your entire idea is built on. Um, right. Yeah. Baseball has no inherent value beyond the value that people enjoy and have the whole experience. Um, and so the things they got were the hospitality suites uh, and slightly bigger general seats. Every seat got a cup holder. Like that was important enough that it made it on the Wikipedia page. And that's kind of what I'm going off here. Like that's how <laughs> minuscule value ads were that they spent 30 years planning to build a stadium, built it built a stadium that was actually not very good for baseball. Um, but hey, they got cup holders at every seat. Uh, and that's kind of your best case. That is a phenomenal success for a Big Bang rewrite. Um, you will not get better than that. Then, hey, you got a system that doesn't, it all, it, it's not good. It's not as good as the old one, but it almost works correctly. And it does get you some of the features that you, you've been wanting. Right. Um, when I came up with that example, somebody said, hey, you know, even better, Madison Square Garden, which is also in New York, it's now the oldest stadium in New York, um, has been continuously uh, upgraded and iterated on over the past 60 years. Uh, so it started off, it had four tiers of seating, uh, and then they decided, oh, well, that's no good. So they merged levels one and two into a large, larger bowl. So they were able to increase the number of seats, reduce the number of, like increase the exits, improve the flow. Then they merged a few decades, like a decade later, they merged levels three and four and they raised the floor, right? So not only did they like rip out some things, like they, they merged it. So they went from four levels to two, they moved the floors uh, that let them add hospitality suites, which was, which was the big thing that the Yankees wanted. Um, right. They've changed out the restaurant and eating options. They've added flyover walkways uh, to give people new and interesting ways to look at the action. 
Um, and, you know, they've been just been, you know, didn't make it to the Wikipedia page, but I bet at this point, every seat at Madison Square Garden has a cup holder. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, they, so Madison Square Garden, they've been iteratively updating it. And now it's like, everybody loves it. They, when it was first built, it, people hated it. They were like, oh, this is right. it's cold. It's terrible. And now everyone's like, oh, this, it's a great seat. You know, it, it's, it's been worked in. Um, and people do want to tear Madison Square Garden down and build a new one a few blocks away. But it's not because they think that they can build a better Madison Square Garden. It's because they want to build something else on the land that's on Madison Square Garden. They want to build right. a better train station. They want to build condos, all these other things. But And so they people are talk, constantly talking about moving Madison Square Garden. But it's not because they want a better Madison Square Garden. It's because they want the land underneath it. So two examples of like a bad case where someone's rewritten, essentially, and didn't provide much value from it, wasted a lot of time and money. And another real world example where uh, there was more iteration, it led to a better experience. Right, yeah. Madison Square Garden has gotten better over the decades uh, and people love it, fans love it. Uh, whereas the new Yankee Stadium, it was kind of a pit because they didn't change anything. And that was yeah. kind of on purpose so that they could be allowed to build a new one. And then they finally built a new one and it wasn't a very good fit for their actual use case because they just had, they, they took one shot in the dark and yeah. didn't quite hit the mark. So 30 years. Back to the, the software examples. What do you think goes in the, uh, goes through the minds of the people who make the decisions that, yeah, we're going to agree with the engineers and say, we're going to rewrite this. You think it's just an ignorance to it or you think it's just like, uh, politics around building a brand new thing and they just want to look good to the team like what other what, what why do people want to do this what's the instinct uh, i think the managerial instinct is that this is a bad idea but mm -hmm. they don't know what the other options are right there aren't a lot of people out there like you and i who are saying hey never rewrite there are tactics there are strategies that you can apply to what you have you know that there will there's never a case no, I don't want to say ever. There's almost never a case where you're, what you have is so bad that you would be better off starting over. Uh, right. Almost, even if what you have is so bad that it's like costing you money, you're going to need to figure out the process of figuring out what you do have so that you can make a new one gives you the opportunity to fix what you have. Uh, and so by the time you understand what you have well enough to build a new one, you're going to be have fixed it. Right. Uh, and I think a lot of it is buying, accepting the premise of, oh, this is so bad, we can't fix it. Or we wouldn't even know where to begin. Yeah. Uh, or that you could build a new one without being able to answer that other question. Um, that that's, but I don't think there's enough examples. And that that's what I'm hoping you and I can, can bring to the table here or bring to the world so we grandiose vision of ourselves <laughs> uh, we're going to bring this alternative idea to the table of look what you know if developers come to you and say oh this is so bad we can't it has to be rewritten we're hoping you can come talk to us and be like we'll never rewrite here's how you do it yeah and i think too from from the engineering perspective not just the decision makers higher level people perspective I, i'm just like reminded of my first time encountering somebody else's code that was very old uh but still a money maker 
right? A lot of times people hear the term, you know, the monolith and they think that's oh, a negative thing. But monoliths can be design choices. It can be more affordable sometimes to create a monolith rather than break things apart. So when Usually, I first, right? yeah, when, when, I, when I first approached it, I was like the, the same, I think it was just more of a naivete on my part where I, as an engineer, I was thinking, especially coming from an academic background and in the academic background, you always hit your deadline because you're turning in, you know, every two weeks or whatever, you have your project, you turn into your professor, you get graded, everything is very scheduled. There's never like, oops, you missed Q3, you know, deadline. You were always scheduled. And then you give, you're given plenty of time and you're, the outline of what you turn in is perfect. This is what you code. As long as you code this perfectly and you turn it in, you will get a 100. <laughs> it's very mm -hmm. not how the real world works. So as I came and saw this code, I was thinking, who wrote this? It, it, how did this even get into production? Because this wouldn't even have passed any standards from, from the academic world. Um, and then once I realized how many things get pushed aside because of like money, essentially, people demanding customers saying, how hey, we'll give you more money if you go this route. You have 10 customers. One of them pays you the most. So you go with their vision of what the product should be. Uh, <laughs> then you or you end up like coding if uh, customer ID is this, do one thing. If customer ID is this other person, do another thing because you're trying to accommodate every person. You don't have that context as like a, a brand new engineer coming in. You don't understand how things have is evolved in the truest sense of that word <laughs> over time. That's true. Very, very over time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely thinking back to my college days, a very good a class that would have been great, but I, is really not a college class would have been understanding and working with somebody else's code. Oh, for sure. There's, uh, I remember I was, I was arguing with someone about this recently. I had to take a class on uh, databases and in databases, it was, it was primarily just MySQL they were talking about or just relational databases. And they were talking about normalization of databases and how to make like the purest, most beautiful database organizationally. And they showed you how to Art do that. Normalization? <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they showed you how to create this um, and there was, you know, a whole semester's worth of material on it, but nobody ever told you that, uh, you might never encounter that in the real world because people make the messiest stuff. There was never a, how to maintain, optimize and curate other people's, uh, messy code bases or messy or messy databases, how to organize that kind of thing. So uh, honestly, I feel like that example, if, if we had classes that were about, managing imperfect code rather than trying to create perfect code or databases for that matter, uh, that would be much more helpful, at least in my experience. Right. There's, um, it was some law, uh, some movie, lawyer movie, uh, where they talk about, you know, when you're med school, they teach you all about the theory of medicine and then they make you be basically a, a doctor intern at a hospital for three years, a resident, mm -hmm. uh, to teach you actually how to do, uh, apply medicine to people. Uh, and the, the characters we're talking is like, oh, well, you know, as a lawyer, you get all this legal theory, and then we send you out into the real world, and you have no idea how to how to do law, like how to actual do a case and work like work it. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. We kind of have the same thing in the software industry, where and we don't even have the bar to, to kind of put a minimum competency standard. And I'm not advocating for it, uh, but like you, know, you get out of college or self-taught, and you know you have no idea what you're doing. 100% right. of the people. Yeah, that's absolutely my case. Because even 
I remember some of the classes I took for for computer science were like um, compilers, how to create your own <laughs> language and how to you know write a compiler, assembly, which uh, I mean is interesting to know, but never had to code assembly. Uh, you know, logic gates, binary, some logic stuff like gates. that. Um, and then a lot of maths, calc one, two, and three. Um, um, and a lot of that I never used, most of that I never used. Once I was thrown into my first startup and they were like, oh, you learned C++ and Java? We don't care about that. <laughs> Here's PHP, yeah. some really bad jQuery. <laughs> Learn that real quick and you'll help us deliver. And so I learned all that. And then I found slow code and I didn't even think about big annotation. I didn't think about what kind of algorithm this is. I just thought, oh, those are a bunch of nested loops. I can see what's going on here. That seems stupid. So right. there's higher level, yeah, higher level ways of looking at it that I'm sure are are useful maybe in other areas. But in, in the in the fast-paced startup world, I think a lot of those problems expose themselves as very obvious. Again, in general, the idea um for me is that uh coming in as an engineer and seeing this really old um this old code that seems in a non-performant or you know very difficult to change my first instinct from that background was this is somebody who does not know what they're doing uh, instead of understanding this is somebody who made calculated decisions to deliver value because money was rolling in uh, and that's the big uh, the first big piece is don't don't assume the code you're written was written by dumb people that's i think that's uh, one of the first pieces yeah that that's a huge thing of having empathy and grace uh and I don't know if, if forgiving the previous developer is the right way to say it, but just assume that the previous developer did what they did for a reason. Right. Uh, and the, the reason is not that they were stupid or that they were incompetent. If you needed to write something that's not good, but because it's going to keep a customer from walking out the door, it's great. It's great. Yeah. Like it, yes, you may know that the code is not good, but it, it's judge us not by our code, judge us by our impact. Or it, it's, it's about the outcome. It's not about the code. Right. So, and I, I feel like that was still another one of the biggest kind of barriers for me to overcome as like a junior engineer coming into the industry is me understanding the code written before me was written for a reason. It was written by somebody just as smart as me uh, that made this decision. Uh, and uh, I guess abandoning that ego around it. Because I think ego is what drives a lot of the decisions to rewrite. You think you can do better. You think people came before did worse uh and uh you think your solutions are better yeah maybe we could start wrapping uh because what we would love for our more audience is bring us problems um what we would love to do more than talk about how software could or should be written uh we would love for you to bring us your your real life examples like when you have some code and you're about to come to your boss and say look this is so bad. We have to start over. There's no other way forward. Mm -hmm. Call, you know, reach out to us. We'll have an app, have you on, uh, and we we can help you talk about talk through how to find those first, you know, toe holds, finger holds into into the existing system, so that we can start pulling it apart, uh, and you can make iterative improvements and never have to rewrite it. For sure. All right. Well, that's uh, going to wrap us up for today. If anybody wants to submit some examples of this that we can or maybe have like a a real life lab and work through for the next episode, uh, send it our way. We'll have it in the show notes. Have it in the show notes. All right. Thanks, everybody, for attending the first episode of Never Rewrite.
I'm Isaac I'm Askew. Sherman. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see you next time. See you next time.